Guys, it's that time of the week again. It's time for a new episode of Girlfriend Material, your gay to Z of all things LGBTQ+. I'm Rosie, I'm here, I'm queer, and I'm in your ears to bring you another jam-packed, exciting episode. So sit back, strap in, pun intended. We're going to have a good time. We'll stop our talk about foraging breakfast. Although I kind of want to open our episode now with like what you have. Like it's such a wholesome breakfast. Like you, please, please tell the listeners again like what you have. Oh, so we really are starting. I think with we're going to start. Check question. We're starting. So it. many podcasts begin before the they official do. introduction. Can you tell you what hear? I'm doing? It's a little cheeky intro into our episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Well, and and the question that sound engineers and producers always ask guests and presenters is what did you have for breakfast yeah. because everyone's got an answer to that yeah. usually they can remember what they had that morning and yeah my wife and I we I don't know if it's healthy it's kind of healthy-ish we normally have um, some strawberries and apple and nuts and seeds various of various sorts <laughs> yeah. flax seeds and chia seeds and whatnot so yeah that's a bit fancy isn't it <laughs> it's fancy Rosie I yeah. like it because do you know what I had for my breakfast this morning and why I wanted to open on this is I had a quality street. Yeah, <laughs> which one? Um, it, it was the leftover one actually. It was the fudge. Um, I had <laughs> oh a, a yeah, bowl. the fudge. Yeah, they yeah. do get leftover. They're a bit shitty. They? The fudge. Sorry, <laughs> if you're a fudge eating quality street person, then you know no shade. But it was definitely the last one in the bowl. So uh-huh. it was you know mm. you can tell what stage of the food shopping week that I'm I'm in. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, <laughs> breakfast is an important meal. It is an I mean, important meal. At least you meal. had something. At least you did have that. Well, quality this is street. the thing. You know, it was one of my one of my five a day. One <laughs> of my five quality streets a day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, Rosie, another Rosie. I'm so excited. I don't think I've actually done a podcast with another Rosie before. Gosh, I'm trying to think if I have. I've met other Rosies and yeah. I've certainly done comedy gigs with other Rosies. Yes. Rosie Jones, for example. Um, we were on together a couple of years ago, but. Yeah, I don't know if I I've know. done a podcast with a Rosie. This is a first, um, an excellent name, a great choice of name. Yes. Um, but yes, I'm joined today for the listeners who are listening to us chatting about Quality Street Breakfasts um, <laughs> by the lovely Rosie Wilby, um, who's a comedian, podcaster and author of The Breakup Monologues, a book which covers how to turn your heartbreak into positivity, which I hope that I've got right. I think the, the essence of it is there, but I'm going to throw it over to you to kind of describe it a little bit better than I do. That is a good way of summing it up, actually, because the subtitle of the book is The Unexpected Joy of Heartbreak. And a lot of friends, when they first heard that, were like, well, Rosie, what are you what you on about? Yeah, that that on. sounds crazy, <laughs> um, because obviously in the immediate time after a breakup, we mm. feel pretty terrible. We feel all at sea. We feel like the world has been ripped from under us because maybe this planned future you had with somebody you thought you were going to stay with for a long, long time and you were soulmates and they were just going to be a part of your life forever, maybe. Um, that person's not there anymore and we really do go through a process that is like a withdrawal process mm, yeah. um, from something uh, that we've been addicted to. Yeah, and I think that's a really... That's a really lovely way of well, not say lovely, but you know, if you're going if you're going through this, obviously you're not thinking that it's lovely, but it's a very apt way of, of putting it because you are essentially withdrawing from somebody and something that you are used to for the first time. Um, mm. But I suppose the positive aspect of that is I have found many many people have found ways of after that horrible bit then reinventing themselves and going on really exciting new adventures and. 
<laughs> starting new careers, new hobbies, yeah. making new friends, meeting new people, going traveling, discovering new places and really discovering new things about themselves that they didn't know before. Yeah, and that's what I want to cover today because I really want to talk about the process of, you know, breaking up with someone, heartbreak, but also more importantly, how you can kind of turn that into, you know, serving you and moving into like the next chapter. Um, I get a lot of like DMs on Instagram and TikTok and stuff um, with a lot of people's different situations, but at the heart of what they're talking about, they are saying, you know, I'm really struggling right now to kind of process and move on from this situation. Um but my first question to you, which um, I, I've heard you've been <laughs> nicknamed like the queen of breakups, which is I, I don't know if that's uh, something like that's endearing to you or whether you like that or not. But yeah, yeah you do like that. Yeah, I think that that's nice. OK, um, we'll call you the queen of breakups for this yeah. podcast. Um, but I wanted to ask, like, why do you personally think obviously, obviously you've written an entire book on it? But why do you think that heartbreak is such an interesting topic and like such a pivotal, I guess, point in someone's life? Well, I think heartbreak, I mean, particularly your first really, really big heartbreak is a pivotal turning point in your life. It is a point where you reflect and think about who you are, where you reach out to your friends or maybe a therapist or someone who can help you just put the pieces back together and figure out what's going on. And like I say, we often put ourselves back together in a way that is a much stronger, more resilient more creative, more unique, more whole, more independent person than the person you were before with so much knowledge about yourself and your own strengths. So there's this idea in um, uh, the Japanese pottery, the art of kintsugi, you know, where you see a pot that's been broken, but it's got these gold lines, this sort of lacquered paint that it's been fixed with after the pot has has smashed. Um, And the idea is that the the broken artefact is actually more valuable, more precious than the one that was whole before. So I think we can apply that same philosophy to humans and think that actually, if you've been through something that, that broke your heart, but you have emerged from it stronger and you found a way to move forwards, that actually you're probably a sort of even bigger and better version of yourself Mm, I really like that um that analogy I think that's really interesting (laughs) and also these pots are really beautiful as a side note um so what kind of drove you to to write this book then like did you experience a, a big you know breakup yourself that kind of pushed you into thinking a bit more about how to help others Well, definitely. And I do think it's important to talk about queerness as well in relation to this, because the big breakup that drove me to think about all of this stuff was a breakup from a relationship that had been very secret, certainly secret from her family because she wasn't out. And so I do think that in some ways, if we can really mark and strangely somehow celebrate the ending of a relationship, we also acknowledge that it happened. We haven't, as queer people, had as many ways to acknowledge relationships legally and formally and culturally as as our straight friends have. Mm. So we haven't been able to get married, we haven't been able to have children. And in, <clears throat> in this case, um, we never actually moved in together, you know, um, even though we were together for five years. 
um, because it always just felt really difficult with her parents. Like, you know, how would we explain who slept in what room and, yeah, yeah. you know, all of this kind of stuff. Um, so I think there's something about, um, you know, kind of almost celebrating breakups because they they are something very real and they show that the relationship was real as well. And I like to use the term breakups as opposed to, you know, there's a lot of podcasters who talk about divorce and books mm-hmm. about divorce, but they're talking about people who've had, had access to marriage all along. And I know Many of us yeah, can now yeah. get married, but I think it's good to have an inclusive term and recognise that even those breakups that you have when you're very, very young, before you've maybe even thought about, you know, uh, marrying somebody and doing that sort of legal stuff or, you know, breakups that you have when you've, you know, you've got kind of older and you've given up on the idea of marriage maybe you're cynical about that or maybe you know your sort of feminist principles mean you don't want to join a patriarchal structure like marriage and there could be all kinds of reasons why you don't want to get married but a breakup of a relationship could still be really devastating it might even be a short relationship but Mm. in your head you thought that person was the one in inverted commas so it still can be devastating even if it actually wasn't that long of a relationship yeah and how did this breakup end for you because I I know the answer to this question (laughs) but I think it's important for other people to to know this yeah Um, well this particular breakup um happened when she dumped me by email and yeah ouch um which at that time this is this is going back a good few years now and it was before we had this culture of ghosting and people disappearing I suppose now it might seem quite quaint (laughs) what was was the subject was there a subject on that Um, email yeah the subject line was pushing and pulling and I thought oh that sounds weird better give that a click and open it doesn't sound too good yeah um so yeah so it was a breakup email and I felt that it should have been something we had a face-to-face conversation about out um but you know sometimes it's difficult isn't it because when you have a face-to-face conversation emotions get in the way and maybe if you know you've got to break up with somebody you're worried that face-to-face you're not going to actually be able to go through with it and be able to do it so I can I can kind of understand with the benefit of hindsight with that clear sightedness but (laughs) yeah at the time I thought it was a bit of a a sort of cruel and abrupt way to end a relationship. So in my comedy, I joked that I felt much better once I'd corrected her spelling. <laughs> <laughs> Was it bad? No, it wasn't oh. at all. That joke is really all about my own pedantry yeah, rather yeah. than it was absolutely fine, her spelling. Um, and, uh, yeah, I said uh, that I changed her punctuation and changed the font, you know, break up in wingdings is actually far preferable. Um, but, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, th- this is about me sort of my pedantry but also yeah. how you sort of try and make a message like that feel more palatable and you've sort of got to use humor you've got to phone a friend and yeah. kind of go oh my god she dumped me by email how rude you know and then you sort of yes. just chat about it and and joke about it and find some sort of dark humor yeah. in it all I mean I don't think there's any perfect way to break up with somebody um I mean I, re- I recently broke up with my 
girlfriend. I, when I say I broke up with her, we we mutually broke up. Um, I actually saw her a couple of days ago, and we sort of had a little bit of a laugh. But it was it was in an underground car park in Brighton, <laughs> of all places. Yeah. Um, and we were saying, God, it was really dramatic and also quite depressing. And she said, Oh, I'm actually going back there tomorrow. And I was like, Oh. Um, but you know, we're we're on good terms with each other in terms mm. of our breakup, which maybe I'll touch on a bit later mm. when we're talking about it. But what do you think is like the worst? Uh, what's the worst breakup that you've heard from other people? Because I have a story, but I'm in, I'm intrigued to see if you have like a a bad breakup. Well, a lot of my performer friends who've been on on my podcast, which is also called the Breakup Monologues, like the book, um, they have told me stories about when they've been performing comedy, or um, some of them are writers and they might be performing spoken word or some kind of performance on stage. They've seen an ex in the audience, but then realised, oh, oh, actually an ex that they don't even know is an ex yet, you know, a, a partner, lover, somebody they've been having something with. Yeah. Um, but they're clearly with somebody else in the audience at their show. Well, they're on a date to, yeah. to, to their show. Yeah. How brazen. I know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had a few people I know have been like, I looked out into the audience, I saw the person I thought I was seeing, or maybe we had a bit of a thing going on. They were with somebody else. <laughs> wow. I mean, I've not heard that one before, but that's that's crazy. Um, I have a, a friend who got socially distanced, broke up with in a park over lockdown, which was quite bad. And then they had to keep their distance from each other. And so he, he was shouting, I don't want to be with you anymore. Uh. And she was just like, what? And he was like, it's over. And she just like couldn't hear half the conversation. So I thought that was quite a bad way to end things. Yeah. Um, but we will move on. We won't talk about necessarily the negative aspects of things. But um, uh, there's different types of heartbreak, isn't there? Mm. Like in terms of how how you, I guess, like what I want to talk about is like how you kind of can process those different types of, of heartbreak or heart heartache or breaking up with someone, what they might look like and also whether, how you can kind of recognise it. So I don't know if you can sort of describe what different types of heartbreak look like for people well it depends what different types you're you're talking about um i mean i think there's already a um a binary that perhaps we started to hint at depending on whether you were the dumper or the dumpy yes yeah um there's a very very different emotional process that you go on a very different journey that you go on if you're the person who's thinking for a long time about ending the relationship then you sort of have more time to process it it's still really really painful because you're sort of staying in a relationship maybe for some period of time and mulling it over and talking to other mm -hmm. friends about it and you feel really horrible you feel really guilty um, and that can be really difficult but I would say, arguably, and we, we tend to talk more about the other side of it, the flip side of it on my podcast, and arguably it's even harder to be the person who thinks everything is fine and then suddenly one day receives that email or that text message and that really abrupt, sort of quite brutal yeah. shock. It's a really. shock, isn't it? It's yeah. like you, your body is going through a shock because you just didn't expect it to happen. Exactly. And people will talk about all kinds of physical responses to that when you go into that sort of shock, shaking, breathlessness, fainting, blacking out. Um, and then as the days go on, loss of appetite, disrupted sleep, um, just really, 
yeah, unable to concentrate or focus. Um, there's quite a discussion at the moment about whether employers should let people have a day off mm. um, or time off, compassionate leave after a breakup. Do you think that they should have a day oh, off? Oh, definitely, because yeah. I think I think it's just like a bereavement or yeah. another type of type of loss really um, and we're not going to really be able to function normally any normal human being you know wouldn't be functioning <clears throat> at their best um, in those few days and they would need to take that time to heal so that they can come back refreshed and a bit repaired like like the Japanese pot that we were talking about yeah. earlier on yeah. um, you know but unfortunately Breakups sometimes happen. Sometimes people are not very considerate about when they mm. drop the news, and they can happen just on the day before a big exam, or a big interview, or an audition. Or, uh, I mean, I yeah, the girlfriend that I had this quite difficult relationship with um, before the um, the final breakup, which was like like a couple of days after New Year, which is a classic time to break up in January. That's that's a big breakup month, unfortunately. Is it? Is it like yeah. sort of people have thought over Christmas about yeah. what they want to do in the next year and then they're like... That's right. And people are you. like, it's a new start. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what she always... What she sometimes did um, when we sort of had mini breakups that we sort of didn't know whether they were proper breakups or not. She would do that before maybe like I was going away to Edinburgh Fringe or doing like a really high pressure helpful thing in my career. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> so I wrote a whole show about how lovely our relationship is and now, now I'm supposed to be performing that for yeah. a month. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of the different breakups then, like what would your advice be? Let's let's go through them. Let's let's start with the, I guess the more unconventional one, which is if you are the person who has broken up with someone else, like maybe you've thought about it and you know, it's been something on your mind, you feel I'm imagining a lot of guilt and a lot of built up sort of sense of um, you know, needing to do something but not knowing how to go about it. Um, you know, because that's that's grief as well. You're still you're still oh, grieving. Yeah. But how do you kind of deal with with that situation if that's something that you know any of my listeners are going through at the moment? I think it's really important with any of any type of breakup to communicate with the people around you who care about you. And I think it's it's complex within our community, especially because um, often queer women all end up being in very interconnected groups of friends. So yeah. I, I don't know how you find it, but I find that, you know, my wife now and my previous partners have generally got to know all of my friends. So it can feel difficult to find somebody that you could go and talk to if there are any problems in your relationship because you yeah. think, oh, I'm then sort of putting that friend in a weird position, like in the middle of something. Yeah, they're, they're almost getting like your side of the story and their side of the story and then weighing it up and then hoping that you that they don't go back to the other person and then tell on this. I know, it's so complicated. <laughs> Very but complicated. I'm sure most of us do have, you know, good long-term friendships where we know that person is someone we can really trust yeah. and rely on to sort of give us honest feedback on and what they think about about the situation so I would say talking things through with people is is um is a really good idea and um, I know I was talking once to the comedian Jess Foster Q um about her journey of um being with a man who 
was the father of her child and then falling in love with a woman. And when she knew that she had to break up with him, what she wanted to do to sort of make the whole thing less horrible, really, and make herself feel less horrible and like he was going to have some kind of say in how it played out, she wanted to allow him some kind of agency. So she wanted to say, look... The breakup is happening. I'm sorry, you know, that that part of it is non-negotiable. But everything around how that breakup plays out is totally up for grabs and up for discussion. I really want us to be able to discuss it and talk Mm. about it. Um, You know, I'm not telling you what has to happen and how it happens in terms of where we live, how we live, how we co-parent, all that kind of thing. So I think particularly if you've got any commitments together like a child or if you've bought a property together or even if you have, you know, friend networks in common or if you, you know, you've got to know their family, they've got to know your family and you have those kind of sort of interconnections, um, you know, it's a good idea to think about how you can hopefully break up compassionately. Mm. And I know the idea of sort of conscious uncoupling sounds a little bit pretentious, doesn't it? But I always say that queer women invented conscious uncoupling long before Gwyneth Paltrow. (laughs) Yeah, I'm laughing because I'm just thinking about like my breakup like a couple of months ago. And I think we definitely went down the conscious uncoupling route, Um, especially because I think a lot of the stuff that we did as a couple was online. So Mm. we did a lot of like, you know, people knew us as a couple and it was very challenging because it was like I had to sort of break the news to everybody else who would be upset because they knew that you know me and Charlie were no longer together but I think it's true like as a queer woman you do think about these things maybe a little bit more but it was definitely a negotiation of like you know this is what I'm going to say are you happy for me to say this you know are you you know do you feel respected like you know in terms of our friends like who's gonna (laughs) Who's going to have that friend? No, we we wouldn't do that. It was, you know, split them up. You know, we split them up. But, um, you know, it was like, well, you know, we're still going to see these people. And we just agreed that, you know, we're not going to not going to burden them by talking about each other to those people. But, you know, this is all great if you if you have a situation which allows you to do that. But often that's not the case. And often there's a lot more sort of I guess what I'm saying is, um fieriness or anger and upset at the end of of breakups um Mm. so I guess that was my next question because it's you know maybe if you're a little bit older it's easy it's easier to do these things but maybe you're maybe it's your first heartbreak maybe you really love this person maybe they dumped you you know how how the hell do you do you navigate a situation like that when you can't consciously uncouple well yeah and what I would say is that I don't think as we get older, it necessarily always gets easier. No, right? that's, maybe that was a wrong way to say it. Well, but, <clears throat> but I, I know what you mean. We perhaps have some more experiences to, to draw on, but it's still so painful and yeah. we're all human. Um, so I think the reaction is just to feel so rejected um, and feel like it questions our sense of self and sense of identity, which if we're part of the LGBTQ plus community might already feel fragile, feel complicated. You know, we might just be coming to terms with our identity if we're younger or even if we're older and sort of finally feeling comfortable in our our own skin and those kind of identities. So, um, 
yeah, it's it's really, really tough. But I do think it, the answer is always communicating with with other people, um, you know, even if it's too difficult to communicate with your ex, it's maybe too painful for a while to really speak to them or think about them. And you just need to have that break and that sort of refresh and reset um, before you attempt even some kind of friendship um you which know, those... is something that I think that a lot of queer women head straight into don't they they're just like well we're breaking up but we're still gonna be best friends and it's like well you're still you're just in, you're just in the relationship you're still, still. in the relationship like, yeah, like, what are you playing at yeah. yeah I don't know I've definitely done that I've oh done yeah that no I've done that lots of yeah. times as well <laughs> it's so common in the queer community to and you know like when is the day that you actually break up it's so interesting mm. because Obviously, a relationship, as it gets further down the line, may have stopped being a sexual relationship a long time before you actually say, you know, out loud that this, you know, we're like friends now. This isn't really a sort of romantic yeah. and sexual relationship anymore. Yeah, um, I know a lot, a, a lot of people who have felt that as well, like they've been in these sort of platonic relationships that they think are relationships, but then actually it just turns out that they're just friendships. And it, do you think that like as, as queer, you know, queer folk, like it's, it's harder to kind of unpick like what makes a friendship and a relationship as, as opposed to maybe a, a straight um, presenting couple it's so interesting because I've been speaking and thinking and reading a lot about friendship at the moment um, because I recorded an episode of my show with a couple of experts on friendship a couple of um, straight white men actually <laughs> which is kind of interesting and I was trying to inject some of the my sort of different experiences to the generic sort of heteronormative oh you know women find it easier to make friends men don't really make friends because they leave it all to their wives and so on um you know so I was sort of trying to open that up a little bit because so much of what we documented about the science of friendship is based very much around the way that heterosexual women and heterosexual men organize their friendships mm. Um, and it's so interesting how in the queer community there's far less of a boundary between sexual, romantic relationships and flings and flirtations and the sort of platonic friendships. And I certainly have experienced in in my lifetime, and certainly when I first came to London a, a few years ago now, um, there was quite a culture of kind of having a bit of a fling or a bit of a flirtation, you know, a bit of a snog or whatever, as a way of kind of getting into a friendship, initiating a friendship, because yeah. there's no real cultural script for how do you become friends with someone. It's not like asking someone out on a date. So queer women, you know, I don't know, sort of, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago or so, that that was sort of quite... Well, you just go around kissing people and yeah, then be like, oh, quite all... like you, we should be friends now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, when I I was, I came to London, a young student in, in the 1990s, and I think it was a hangover from the sort of lesbian commune culture yeah. of the sort of 70s and 80s. Um, and... Yeah, there, there was there was still quite a lot of sexual freedom, yeah. really, and I think that I think that has changed a lot, and so I suppose friendship and sort of physical intimacy were were a lot more interconnected than they are now. But I still think in in our community they're more interconnected than they are in the sort of more heteronormative world where it, it's really seen as completely separate. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I have to agree with you on that. Firstly, that also sounds very fun about the 90s. <laughs> I, maybe we should reintroduce this culture back into London. Um, watch this space. Maybe I've got an event coming up. Um, but uh, would you classify those as like situationships then? Like I would sort of say, because um, I've been reading a lot about it. I'm very, very interested in situationships because yeah. it's like that border between platonic friendship and a relationship. But you're not. It's like that feeling, I think, of when you're with someone, but you're not really with someone. Um, so I think a lot of people do end up falling into this sort of situationship trap. And it's like mm. if you if you find yourself though going around in circles like as I don't know if you have, I've found myself going around in circles multiple times with people that I've sort of had these situationships with. And in the end, I feel like you do kind of, one of you has to make the choice whether it carries on or whether you, you end that. Mm. And I have previously ended a situationship, not consciously, because I'm a lesbian. I mean, you can't have a conversation about these things. It was just more <laughs> of a sort of, mm-hmm. you know, ending of things. But um, I guess, how do you know, like, how do you protect yourself and how do you know when, you know, something isn't serving you? <laughs> yeah, the, well, this is really interesting because I'm I'm currently writing my first novel all about a sort of situationship <laughs> okay. that the the sort of main character doesn't feel she has the agency to either make more serious into more of a structured and formal relationship or or end. Um, yeah, and she she doesn't really know what's what's happening, and I think it's difficult because I think these situationships can feel incredibly compelling because they can feel they retain some of the thrill and excitement that maybe our relationships that become more serious lose a little bit when you move in together and you you know you yeah. sort of become a bit acclimatized to that person and it's like oh it's just you know it's just you <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and they're just always around and you see them at their worst moments you see them when they're hung over you know so <laughs> you hear them farting you know <laughs> all of that stuff yeah. sort of takes away some of the allure of this kind of magical mystical person whereas in a situation ship maybe they're a little little bit more elusive and you're not in so much of a committed space where you do see them all the time. And, yeah, you kind of do find yourself thinking, oh, what if? What if mm. they are the one? If if I could only get them to commit? Yeah. Um, so that can end up being, like Is you say, like, a bit toxic. It can be toxic, yeah. And I think, like... Human beings, like we absolutely love mystery, don't we? We, we don't. We, we don't. We love the uncertainty of it. And there's nothing more mysterious and thrilling than not knowing if your love interest is interested in you. Um, yes. Well, yeah. I mean, oh gosh, it's so interesting. It's, it's like, like Sherlock or something, it's, isn't it? Yeah, it's unpicking like, it all. <laughs> yeah, the definitely stuff I thought about a bit in my in my first book as well was this idea of reciprocity and how I I think queer women in particular. Certainly me and a lot of my friends that I know enjoy the chase, enjoy sort of being the person who pursues somebody. And as soon as that person I love turns the chase. Around, the chase is fun. Can we just be honest on goes, this podcast? The chase is fun. When that person turns around and goes, yeah, I'm interested. You're like, no, it's no fun anymore. Oh, no, not no, that person. Not yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. And I think that that's what maybe keeps people in these situationships or even like these sort of toxic want I don't want to confuse like situationships and label the stuff with being toxic but I and think, not always because if no. ev- if if everybody knows 
what the situation is. And it's, I mean, a lot of the times a situationship that's less full on, less intense, might be the perfect sort of detox after a really bad breakup. Yeah. It might be a bit of fun to make you feel more desirable again, but there's no sort of, you know, come on now, we've got to move in together, we've got to get married, we've got to do this and that and the other. It's just like a bit of fun. Yeah. And I guess the, the question is, is when one person does want it to become more serious and there's a, you know, there's a divergence of, of people's needs. But if both people are on the same page, it's like we're just going to have fun for a few a few months. I find often those are easier when there's a, a kind of set time limit, even though that can be quite painful if you're both, I don't know, if you're away in a certain place, like the holiday romance, for oh, example, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a date when you're going to be travelling home again. And maybe you'll keep in touch with that person, but the relationship that you've had... Is is going to end because you you're going to be over the you, other side of the world. Do you think that you can you can do that as a lesbian? Because I feel like we just get so, we get so attached, don't we? I think even if I met somebody like in Puerto Rico or something, I'd be like, right, well, I'm going to move. <laughs> you know, <laughs> fuck, fuck London, fuck Spotify, the podcast, get myself to Puerto Rico. You know, like, do you think that 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 is still possible? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> well, it, it certainly puts a practical boundary on it. But yeah, emotionally, yeah. you might well uh, decide that, that that was the person and always be wondering about them. Yeah. But then again, I, I also have written a lot of articles about crushes and how I think they can be toxic if they become too obsessive and they're really governing your entire well-being and your life and yep. you're just stalking them on Instagram every day. Um, <laughs> Been there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I also think they can be quite healthy because they can be quite energising. They can be a bit of fun. They might actually help you to reflect on what it is you like about that person, whether it's that you want to be a bit more like them. Maybe you can take inspiration from things that they do that you think, actually, I want to be a bit more like that. And, oh, I like the way she talks about this specific topic and I, you know, or... I don't know, I like some of the music she listens to or whatever. You might just be introduced to ideas or culture or things that that person likes. And sometimes a crush can be a really fun thing that can perfectly, happily coexist alongside a relationship, particularly if you're able to be honest with your partner about such things. If you, yeah. you know, play like the celebrity crush game or, or you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but it, make, it makes you just... um. I guess like stand up a little bit more and take notice of like how you look and you know what you kind of act like um so yeah it's not I, I don't know crushes are interesting aren't they it's very very interesting yeah um, it's very interesting and I think you can learn a lot about yourself from them so I don't think they're all bad you know so if you did have this amazing connection with somebody in Puerto Rico. Um, have you had a connection with somebody in Puerto Rico? No, Why did I that come randomly into No, your... I know. Do you know. But no, no. Do you know where that thought process came from? It's because I was li literally um, watching a movie with Aubrey Plaza in it. And mm. I think she's like part Puerto Rican. I mean, somebody's going to correct me on this podcast if that's not wrong. Okay. But like, I was just thinking like, who would I have a celebrity crush on? That's where it's all come from. Ah. But um Okay. No, there's sadly no one that I'm going okay. to be moving over there. But. but yeah, I mean, but if you did have that connection and then still thought about them a lot, I don't think that's necessarily all bad. Yeah. So let's talk about the stages of 
heartbreak then because practically speaking if somebody's listening to this episode and they're like well this is all great but this is where I am at the moment and I feel really miserable and I feel really sad like does heartbreak and you know breaking up with someone does it mirror the stages of grief and can you like learn anything from those stages of grief you know talking about like denial and talking Mm. about anger Mm -hmm. all of those things like Mm -hmm. what in your opinion do you think you move through and what you talk about in your in your book um what are the sort of stages of of getting yourself back to a good place i guess yes um no i'm just trying to oh yes i've just found it the um because i can never remember all five of them um so yes, in 1969, the Swiss American psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler Ross. A lot of people have maybe heard of the Kubler Ross stages of grief. She became famous for this theory, and the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And although Kubler Ross was talking about um, the stages of grief, um, well, initially she was talking about when a patient is is dying, but also we might then apply that to if someone you know or love is, is dying and the stages you might go through. Um, but we have now sort of extended that to really talk about all kinds of types of loss like a breakup and they might be stages that you would go through when you've you've lost an important connection in your life. Although there is a difference, a, an important difference between a breakup and a bereavement because, of course, that other person is still alive. They're still having a life. And in this social media culture, that life is probably still very visible to you. Um, So even if you decided to cut ties and not be friends, maybe because you've got mutual friends, you know, even if you, you know, uh, unfollowed them or didn't connect with them on various platforms, you might still see what they're up to it might be unavoidable the so, photos still pop up Rosie. yeah exactly yeah, they the do memories, I know. <laughs> so it's it's really hard um to sort of distance yourself from from that that connection those feelings but what's also important to say I think about those stages is that we don't necessarily go through them in a certain order. Mm. So I don't think it's a case where you go, right, I've moved on from denial. And now <coughs> yeah, I'm... week one, denial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you might sort of go through them in a chaotic pattern. You might go backwards or feel you're going backwards. But everyone's got their own journey. Everyone's got their own map to follow. Everyone's got their own timeline. And I hate this idea of uh, proportionality that it's going to take you a certain amount of time to get over a relationship, depending on how long you were together, you know, um, because I know people who've had short relationships. And that's taken ages to get over because yeah, that's true. because of every, all the connections that they felt and all the sort of unexplored potential of that relationship. But do you think you can put a minimum on it? You know, like, do you think that rather than entering into a new relationship, like, do you think there's a, a, a sort of grace period you need to give yourself in order to actually, I guess, cleanse yourself from... This is another lesbian question, isn't it? It's just like, <laughs> how long do you have to leave it before you sort of you know, yeah. enter something new? Well, lesbians are... <laughs> classic serial monogamists often they don't leave themselves much time at all or even there is a bit of a history of uh sort of overlaps or somewhat clandestine overlaps at times yeah (laughs) or certainly lining up the next person emotionally even (laughs) if uh nothing actually happens it's like oh not but nothing happened and like hmm yeah um so yeah, I I don't know. I know people who have like moved on like within a week and oh. I've been like wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but 
in some cases, that has been okay. I, I generally think there must be a bit of avoidance going on there and yeah. deferring that grief to a to a later point. Um, but you know yourself, you know what's right for you. And it, maybe if you meet somebody who you really connect with, who really you're very compatible with, perhaps you can communicate enough in that relationship around the fact that there's probably still some baggage, still some stuff to work through, still some stuff you need to sort out yeah. um, because you had this other relationship that, you know, is still part of your history, part of your life. And um, it's just quite natural to work things through. So some people move on quickly, but some people it might really take, a, you know, many, many years. Mm. Um, and that's OK as well. What are your top tips, like personally speaking, that, that's helped you like through a breakup um, that you could recommend to other people? Well, I do think, I mean, obviously, we've, we've talked a lot about talking to other people, reaching out to other people. That's really why I started my podcast and, and started writing the book and doing sort of a lot of the comedy shows and work that I've done looking at the psychology of relationships and sort of trying to understand this stuff and then pass on this information to other people in a sort of more fun and accessible way than the sort of dry, dusty, heteronormative textbooks. Yeah. Um, oh, the straight textbooks. Oh, they're, they're all so straight. It's all so straight. just like men and women and it's so binary. <laughs> and yeah, so I wanted to do something that, yeah, queered the whole picture up um, and looked at some of the unique problems that, that we might face. Um, but yeah, so, so talking to one another is obviously uh, part of it and that's that's why I started all the work that I did but I also think some very um, kind of quite basic things like you know trying to incorporate some kind of routine into your life and and going to bed at a reasonable hour and sort of trying to sleep even if you if you can't I mean re then you could reach out to people I mean I, I had an ex um that I was still great friends with during my last breakup and she happened to be working in the States. So I was able to text her at weird yeah. times in the morning if I'd woken up at 3am. That can feel like a really lonely time. So I'd be like, you know. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's good to know you've got people around on the end of the phone at, at weird times. But if you can still try to have some kind of routine and eating meals and even if your appetite has, has really gone, just be kind to yourself and have a few treats and things that you tub of ice cream yeah it's yeah. the classic isn't it but you know chocolate and all these things do release dopamine which is one of the sort of happy reward chemicals that we're trying to replace so it's definitely not a completely crazy idea um but physical activity you know exercise dancing singing laughing going to a comedy night seeing laughing friends. Is, is so important mm. i honestly think it's like it's such a healer for for so many things and i talk about it like a lot on social media but I just think it's so important to like surround yourself like with positivity. Um, my best friend, she the, the day after I, Charlie and I broke up, um, she took me on a speedboat down the Thames. <laughs> I know it's mad, isn't it? But no, it's nice. <coughs> it's good. Yeah, it sounds really fun. But, but she said to me, she was like, "I just want you to to feel the exact opposite of, of sad." And she was like, "And we need to do something really extreme to put yourself in that mindset to remind yourself that you can feel other things than, than feeling this." And I was like, "This is fucking mental, Felicity! <laughs> like, what the hell?" And she was like, "And then she was like, book the tickets, meet me at the Embankment Dog." And I went there. I was like, obviously 
devastated because it was depressing and then all of a sudden somebody's putting like a life jacket on me and I'm being doing that but (laughs) you know it worked in a weird way because you know I was like wanting to cry but also laughing because the whole situation was ridiculous like we were (laughs) we were going like I don't know 50 miles an hour to James Bond like by (laughs) by the O2 um and I think that if you've got people in your life who do that, great. But if if not, like you can foster that in in some senses for yourself and and try to, like you said, you know, go to a stand up comedy gig, you know, mm. go go to places like that. Um, do you think that? Do you think that you should? Do you think you should block your ex on online? Do you think that that's not block, but like, do you think you should unfollow? And do you think you should have like a, a cleansing period of not looking at them? Um. Yeah, I'm a bit torn on that. And I, I really think it is it is up to you um, because I, I think the problem with social media now is that they might pop up anyway, somehow unexpectedly through mutual friends. And I don't think you can, I don't know if we have that much control that we can actually say, I don't want to see this person at all. Um, for example, there's this woman I talk about in my book. Um, there's a chapter called uh, called the bisexual comedian, and it's this short relationship I had that actually really hurt because of there was a complex dynamic about power and agency in the world that I hadn't understood at the time, and how I felt really un uh, kind of disempowered and um, yeah by by the situation and sort of felt. Yeah, some, something complex had happened that neither of us had acknowledged at that time. Um, and so I had continued to follow her. Um, but in the new year, I decided that I was going to go on TikTok. And one of the first people I looked up to see if she was there was was this woman. And she wasn't on there. And I thought, oh, yes, TikTok is a safe space. She's not going to just <laughs> pop up. Um, but then a few days later... I don't think I've ever like, heard anyone call TikTok a safe space. Well... <laughs> It's weird. Well, it, the thing is, I'm not like a massive TikToker. So I just thought I'm just going to have I'm not going to put any pressure on myself to have like zillions of followers yeah. or post every day or whatever. That's just going to be some fun things. If I've got some fun clips from the podcast, uh, clips of me reading from the book or, or whatever, um, I'm just going to have a bit of fun there. I'm not going to. I mean, I've been someone who always used Twitter, but unfortunately that has... <laughs> That's changed. Yeah, um, it's X now, isn't it? Owned I by know, Elon. oh my God. But um, yeah, I just thought I'm going to have a bit of fun on there and not, not put pressure on myself. Um, and yeah, uh, unfortunately, a few days later, she started up on TikTok. And even though I wasn't following her, because I look at a lot of other female comedians and the hashtags that she was using, she was just coming up all the time. She on your view page. She was being served to you. Yeah, and I just thought, oh, oh you know, you can't kind of get away in a way so I sort of in a way embrace it and now I sort of deliberately almost look at people that I feel there's a bit of hurt there with because I kind of want to remind myself why they're actually not right (laughs) so if they've posted something that me and my friends can kind of make fun of and go god isn't she annoying (laughs) it's actually quite satisfying I like it it's another side to Rosie's coming out um but on that note though that's actually a very important point because I was watching a TikTok about how to get over a breakup and one of the things that someone said is like writing a list of all all the reasons that you can't be with that person or all the things that you didn't really like um yeah. <laughs> I'm absolutely not sitting on this podcast and saying that I actually have done this for my ex because she the situation between me and her was just 
that we just wanted different things in mm. life. And I absolutely, you know, she was a lovely person and we both have no um, hard feelings. But, mm. you know, previously in, in, in oh, yeah. situations and crushes where I've been absolutely obsessed with someone and then been quite categorically, like cat- catastrophically rejected, it has helped me to kind of remind myself of being like, well, you know, I never liked their shoes. They had awful <laughs> shoes, you know, just like having a little list there. And it doesn't make, I, I feel like it doesn't make you a bitch. It just makes no. you, it's a little something, isn't it, for you to be it's like. It's just a mm. bit of fun. Yeah, we're not sort of saying that person is, is a terrible person, but you are reminding yourself of the things that actually, yeah, like you say, wouldn't be right yeah. for you about them. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. There is um a, a kind of theory behind this sort of they call it a negative reappraisal strategy and it's been used with alcoholics um you know and they've been encouraged to think about the negative aspects of drinking to sort of think well actually even though drinking feels really tempting because i'm really addicted to it um if i think about you know the the consequences of it maybe i, I don't want to have a drink maybe i shouldn't and so we have to do apply the same kind of logic to our relationships and it's like oh I love thinking about that person and I'd love to you know get back together with them but then if you remind yourself of all the things like you say that that didn't really work then then maybe you have a different sort of view of it and a more clear-sighted view and I also talk about there's a chapter in the book about going for a um a sort of performance workshop with this performance artist I know and she said right you've got to do something I think I had like 90 seconds to create like a visual scene while she left the room that represented breakups and I was like oh god what am I going to do and you know there was all her bits and bobs in the room and I had to use just stuff in the room and she had an envelope of old photos so back in the day before we just put photos on social media we used to print out our photographs if you can imagine such a thing oh, so yeah I think I was on the cusp I have a few printed and a few digital yeah <laughs> yeah so she had this envelope of old photos like we used to get developed and printed out and so what I did was I lay on the floor and just scattered all these photos all over me because it can feel like we are sort of submerged by this avalanche of memories and it feels really oppressive that like you say they're always popping up on all these different platforms this is what you were doing a year ago with this person and look how happy you were and you're like oh thanks very much yeah cheers (laughs) for that thanks yeah yeah um so you know obviously we've spoken a lot about the effects of breaking up and you know how you can kind of manage that but I guess looking forward how do you know that you are in a space where you're ready to date again um yeah (laughs) I think um I think you do know in yourself if you have sort of let go if you stopped thinking about that person all the time and if you do start going on dates and you know, you're not feeling really, really sad. I think, you know, if you do go on a date and you find yourself just missing your ex and just feeling really, really sad, that might be a sign that you're not quite ready and maybe you sort of, you know, give yourself a bit more of a bit more of a break. Um, although, you know, dating can, even when you are ready, it can be really frustrating because you meet lots of nice people who are just not, you know, not doing it for you, not, not quite right. So <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> That can be incredibly um, frustrating anyway. Um, yeah, I've had lots of conversations about that kind of, <laughs> you know, meeting lots of people and they're like, yeah, you know, maybe I should give them a go. Um, yeah, I've, I like when I was before this relationship, I was like a serial um, 
Tinder, Bumble person. Yeah. And it was, oh God, I, you know, I don't think online dating works for me very much <laughs> because I feel like I meet these people and then they were... <laughs> They were either utterly nuts, like, like utterly, utterly <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Or there was just something, like at the end of the date, you know, we'd have a great time and they'd be like, oh yeah, so um, yeah, I'll let my boy- boyfriend know that obviously we've like been on this date then. And I was like, sorry? Oh. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. Didn't mention that. There was always some sort of something strange going on with it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that, I think you can tell, can't you, whether you're on those dates? Because I remember coming out of a situationship and still feeling a little bit sad about it. And I would go on these dates just to make myself feel a bit better. But I'd be sitting there thinking, well, you're not her. You're not her. You know, this is really sad. And then I've been on dates where I've not been in that headspace. And I've been like way more engaged and way more sort of like, oh, well, yeah, I could I could see you for a second time or you're really interesting. So I think... Yeah, I think you know, don't you, when you're when you're in that space. Yeah, I, I think you can tell when it starts to feel good and you start to feel just good in yourself doing doing stuff out and about on your own, you know, dating or, or other activities. Um, if you're just really present and alive in the moment of being on a boat <laughs> whizzing down yeah, the Thames. Exactly. I would recommend that to anybody. <laughs> if you're in London, that's what you should do. Maybe yeah. I should get sponsorship from literally the the Thames, whatever people, <laughs> whatever they were, whatever they were called. <laughs> but I do think being being outdoors is is good. Um, being out in the in the world, and yeah, a lot of people I know recommend mm. swimming. I think swimming outdoors for me, um, Brockwell Lido was where I have got over some breakups for sure. That's a nice. That's nice though. I like that. Yeah. Um, quick question: Do you think you should get under somebody else to get <laughs> over someone else? Do you yeah, think that theory a, works? It's a popular idea, isn't it? But I think rebound relationships can be problematic and we've it's definitely come up a lot um, in conversations that I've had. Um, and, yeah, I don't think it necessarily works. I think if you're getting into something fun and casual, like we were talking about, like the situationships, it could be, it could be something you need just to give your give your ego a little bit of a, a massage yeah. that it, a little bit of kindness that it needs but it can get complicated if not everyone is on the same page and not everyone knows where they're at so a lot of communication i think is is really really key lots of communication is key yeah and lots of um lots of hormones flying around because there's two women so you know just <laughs> beware of that is, is all I'm going to say. That's a whole other thing, That's isn't a it? whole other like, thing. up your cycles yeah. and all of that. We yeah. could do another episode just oh based on the psychology. But yeah, I, t- I touched hormones. on that a little bit in the book as well, but yeah, complicated. Yeah. So, my last question, which is what I'm always asking my guests, is um, obviously this podcast is called Girlfriend Material, but mm. what do you think makes somebody girlfriend material, in your opinion? <laughs> Yeah. Someone who can make you apples and strawberries and seeds for breakfast every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um well, my wife and I I think just immediately had an honest way of communicating and I'm not always the best communicator. Obviously, I've become way better as I've researched all of this stuff about relationships Um, and partly I wanted to do all of that to help other people but partly I wanted to help myself and have Mm. healthier and better relationships myself and um, enhance and enable my own journey to more 
happy and rewarding and fulfilling relationships. So I think when I met girlfriend, she's called in my book, but she's now my wife. Uh, we had to have some pretty honest conversations right at the beginning because of everything that I was writing about. My first book had not come out yet, but I'd just finished writing it. And she was like, oh, what's it called? And my first book was called Is Monogamy Dead? So we had to have some quite honest discussions about what I thought about monogamy and why mm. I was writing a book about that and what our boundaries were and, you know, what what we thought about consent and desire and all the different things. and and monogamy and fidelity. So, you know, I think if you've got something that prompts you to have those conversations, like, you know, some people are having open relationships now, and that would automatically mean they'd have to have probably some more more complex conversations than we automatically do when we're sort of getting into more sort of traditional monogamous relationships, um, when we sort of make tons of assumptions about, mm. okay, well, we're together now, so this means... x um whereas of course we don't necessarily know what the other person means and if you can have those conversations you know a few dates in about whether you're exclusive or whether you fancy other people whether you have crushes on other people without that all being triggering and emotional and difficult um i think that shows some pretty healthy communication and respect and also safety and trust Mm -hmm. in the relationship if you're going to feel secure enough for your partner to sort of talk about crushes or, um, you know, attractions they have to other people, then it's probably a good sign if that isn't sort of really, really triggering or it doesn't sort of make you feel insecure because you probably do know that they really, really like you, even though maybe they're able to be open enough to say that they like other people as well. And that's totally natural and totally human if they do. So... Is is there anything else that you think makes someone girlfriend material other than honest communication? Is there anything <laughs> specific to you that you personally think makes someone, you know, a, a good girlfriend or a good wife? Um, <laughs> well, I think I have, because I'm a creative, I've worked in the arts for many years um, as a comedian, as a musician, as a journalist, as, you know, lo- lots of different things, as an author now, um, I've often been attracted to other creative people, other musicians and, you know, tortured artists. And I think the tricky thing with people in the creative arts is that you have to really kind of give yourself over to that. It's such an overwhelming um, quest, really, to want to express yourself on stage or on the page that you do find a number of artists um, can become a bit self-obsessed. They <laughs> they can become very egotistical. I mean, we certainly heard some horror stories uh, about the comedy industry lately. Mm. Um, yeah, comedians are another breed, though, I feel. Well, yeah, yeah, they, they are, but I've met some musicians and uh, yeah, other true, people actually. in other art forms, poets, you know, all, all of them can... Uh, they can all have their ways. <laughs> they can all have their ways. Um, so I guess for me, it's now finding somebody who, um, you know, she she does effectively work freelance, but she has a bit more stability and structure in her life and a bit more solidity financially and so on. And without that being kind of really dull, I mean, she does something quite interesting. You know, she's not like a sort of 
accountant or whatever. Sorry, all accountants who are listening. Sorry to the accountants know, who are I'm listening so to this episode. I'm so, I'm ever so sorry. You're very <laughs> exciting and interesting. Um. <laughs> tax, tax people. <laughs> there might be some really hot tax people. Yeah, if you're like a hot accountant, like hit me up after this episode, please. <laughs> um, but I suppose, yeah, it's just taking me away from um, perhaps a template that I had a bit fixed in my head of what I was looking for. I wanted another sort of soulmate artist that we could kind of go and do art together and, and make stuff and create stuff. And that can be wonderful, but also it can just be too much. It can just be too intense. So somebody yeah. who's got a slightly different structure and routine might actually bring something, something different to the table. So I think whatever you know they do if they have some kind of solidity in their life and they they might be an artist but they might just be a bit more grounded than mm. than some grounded is good i think for creative people though <laughs> i i think i probably do need a little bit of grounding like in, in my next relationship um but yeah that's really interesting thank you um if people want to know more about you then and they want to purchase your book and they want to you know listen to you chat more about this yeah, than just yeah. our episode um yeah where are you online and how can we find you well um yeah i'd love to hear from people i'm very approachable i mean i am on the old Twitter now X yeah. at Rosie will be, but who knows how long we'll all stay on there or what's going to happen there. Um, I'm on Instagram at Breakup Monologues. Um, I'm also on Threads as Breakup Monologues, and on TikTok I'm at Rosie will be author. Um, and you should be able to find the Breakup Monologues book, The Unexpected Joy of Heartbreak, um, on all the book places all the bookie platforms and and what have you amazon and bookshop.org and etc and also the breakup monologues podcast should be everywhere that you get your podcasts as well so yeah i'd love to hear from people and maybe even see you at one of our live recordings that we do around and about the uk um yeah we have a few coming up in london but um you know, maybe you'll uh, be sharing for <laughs> people depending on when this episode goes out. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, that's an important thing to note that you do also do these live recordings so people can come along, presumably, and, and watch these. Yeah. Um, and it's lovely when people come and be a part of the audience because then they're sort of engaged in a in a slightly different way again because we've sometimes had episodes where people have even shared their own breakup story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Rosie. Um, thank you. And yeah, I've just enjoyed our chat. It's been really interesting, um, cathartic to talk through some of these things. And if you're listening at home um, and I hope that you've got something out of this episode, do make sure to check us both out online. If you like this podcast, please make sure to rate and review it. Um, and also, importantly, if you or anyone you know is going through a heartbreak, then share it with them. Like this is the whole point in this podcast, guys. We need to spread the message and spread spread the advice um as rosie mentioned we're here we're queer <laughs> and um this advice doesn't come around every day so make sure you do share it and tune in next week for another amazing episode thank you rosie for joining guys thank you so much for listening to girlfriend material you might be sad that the podcast is over for this week i know i am but i'll be back at the same time next week with another juicy guest just for your ears in the meantime though if you liked this episode make sure you subscribe and share it with someone who you think might also enjoy listening sharing is key
caring, guys. Girlfriend Material is hosted by myself at Rosie Turner Daily, so go ahead and follow me on Instagram and TikTok for more content with support for my lovely babes, Essie and Clara, just for you. We love you and we'll see you soon.